Please turn in your Old Testaments to the book of Lamentations is just to the right of Jeremiah, uh, which is a pretty big book uh, there in the prophets section. Uh, there are uh, tables of contents if you need them as well. We don't really hear from Lamentations very often, but we will be the next five weeks. Hope when the hurt won't go away. And um, as you're turning there, uh, let me pray and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Lord, would you... Would you give us honesty this morning before you? And could that honesty turn into confession? And could that turn into healing? Or begin the process of some healing in our lives or in the lives of people we love? In Jesus' name, amen. So what do you do when the hurt just won't go away quickly. I mean, we Americans, push button, remote control, microwave, everything kind of happens. But but what about chronic, you know? What about when the hurt won't go away? What do you do in the life of somebody you love when their hurt won't go away? Is there room in our theology for a depth and duration of hurt that, that just won't quickly vanish. Does our theology support difficult things that go on? Uh, are we often more eager, meager, eager to fix people than we are to weep with them and to walk with them? Is it okay to express the reality of your hurt and pain to God? Is it important at all to be real with God and to actually seek God from the basis of what's actually happening in your life and not what you'd like Him to see. Where does real hope come from when the hurt won't go away? I remember when my father died and I was age 14, I mean immediately I just kind of slipped into this zone of shock emotionally. It's like everything just kind of stopped into this, this slow drive, this kind of slower warp of suspended motion. I, I felt like this cannot be happening. I, I felt like I was looking at my own life going, this, this just cannot be true. And, and nothing was making sense. And I'll tell you that immediately I knew that my life, the way it had been, was over. And nothing was going to bring it back. And I'll tell you something. You just couldn't fix me in a day. And you just couldn't fix me in a week or a month. That experience has marked my life in many ways. But one of the ways that it has marked me is a a marker in my spirit to let people hurt and to just pray with them pray for them to encourage them yes but 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 to let them hurt and even are you ready for this word even to lament i'll explain what that is in a moment to let them talk their pain out before god where is the hope 
when the hurt won't go away if you can't talk your pain out with God. So what about you? What are the deep and stubborn hurts of your life? We all have them. And how have you dealt with them? Or have you dealt with them? I'm going to tell you, these next five weeks, learning to lament and the grace that comes from it could be very significant in somebody's life here in this church. But I'll be honest with you, there are people in this room right here, and there were people in the early service that are, and they might not tell you this, but they're uncomfortable with this kind of language. They're uncomfortable with this language of just telling God the way it is and, and, and even expressing some anger and, and expressing some disappointment. They're, they're uncomfortable with that. And I realize that. And some folks have such what you might call a triumphal view, a kind of sanitized view of Christianity that, that you know, we're supposed to be happy like within 48 hours or maybe we don't have faith or something like that. I remember going to a funeral. And in this funeral... The, the pastor kept telling people, you're not supposed to grieve. No, you're supposed to be happy. Our friend's in heaven. And you know, that's, there's truth there, right? I mean, look, that was somebody that was sick. That was somebody declining. There is joy in, and, and the victory will swallow up our grief. But Thessalonians says, we grieve, we grieve, but not like the rest of men who grieve without hope. We grieve, but he kept saying, stop grieving. This is a promotion to glory ceremony. I mean, over and over. Look, it is a promotion to glory. But do we have to chastise people for being honest before a God who loves them? I want you to know that I believe in finding contentment in all circumstances. That is not what we're talking about here. But I do not believe the Bible says anywhere that it is illegitimate to feel pain at a deep level and to talk out that actual pain with God. In fact, I think the Bible says just the opposite. There's no question that in a fallen world, we're going to have lots of hurt, we're going to have lots of pain, and there's more than we could even imagine sitting right here in this sanctuary this morning. The question is not whether we're going to have pain. The question is, what are we going to do with it? Who are we going to take it to? Is there hope when the hurt won't go away? That's the question. And this is where the art, the lost art of the lament comes in. It's very important. Can I just, can I define a lament for you? A little explanation before we get in the text. A lament in its just simplest definition is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. It is, it is deeply felt. It is verbal. It is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. This can include expressing anger. Like if you feel anger, you actually say it. It can, it can be by expressing regret or whatever because of some sense of loss. And sometimes a lament, and sometimes in the Bible, a lament is a form of protest against God. I know this is not the normal thing that we hear. It is expressing the hurt that you feel directly to God. And it is a part of Hebrew culture and distinctly not a part of European culture, not a part of Western culture, and not a part of American culture. You know, it it is the Hebrews 
that teach us. You know, like God's chosen people that he gave his covenant to in the Old Testament. They show us that life has a lot more colors than we think. They're the ones. Remember, they're the ones when they're happy, they dance. And they sing. And when they are sad, you know what they do? They rip their clothes. They just tear, rend their clothes and wail. Very unlike most Americans do. I mean, these are people who just kind of like to get in there and hash out everything. You know, um, it's, it's, it's almost like in Hebrew culture, if, you, if you're not willing to disagree and kind of kind of wrestle through something, you get close to people by wrestling through things in the Hebrew culture. Here in our culture, we say, well, we just don't want to, you know, we don't say anything that might be offensive. The Hebrew culture, man, they get into it. I mean, even like when you're haggling in the market in that culture, if you don't say no twice, they're offended. They want you to say no twice, trying to get them down, because they, they feel connected to you through this, this kind of reality, this kind of relational reality. They were honest and earthy in their expressions to their God. And they lamented. They processed their grief. That's what this book is about. This book is about God. It is about God's grace. But it is about how we process our grief before a God who loves us. It is called Lamentations. It is five different poems, five chapters. Each is a lament. Each is a poem. And do you know how the book of Lamentations starts? It starts with a word, like every other book. But it's one of those books that for hundreds and hundreds of years, it was named after the first word. Now, they changed the name of this book. They changed the name of this book to Lamentations, like grief. It used to be called by the first name. You know what the the name of this book used to be called? Look at the first word of Lamentation 1. How? (laughs) How? I mean, doesn't that just kind of capture this, this feeling of reality? How? It, the book used to be called How. How lonely sits the city that was once full of people. How Jerusalem has become like a widow. Now, it is interesting that this book that's given to us to get close to God by His grace and to process grief... You would think that this book would just be like when we process grief, a lot of times it's just like an emotional blurt, right? This book about processing grief is not a random emotional blurt. This is one of the most structurally organized books in the entire Bible. All right, five laments, right? You with me? Five poems. Do you know how each of those are structured? This is fascinating. There are 22 stanzas in all but the last chapter, 22 stanzas in each one of these corresponding to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first stanza starts with Aleph, and the word how starts with A in, uh, in Hebrew. And then the next stanza starts with B or Bet. And that's why a lot of people have said, you know what this is? This is like processing your grief from A to Z. This is a structured way to bring your hurt to God. You know what happens with us? We just kind of, we're just kind of in circular emotional bondage and, and we just kind of get deeper. We're like a, a truck with the back wheel, two wheel drive stuck in the mud, just, just screaming, uh, but not going anywhere. This is a linear way to process grief. This is a very important book in the history of Israel. We don't hear from it very often. But do you know, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 66 AD, after the destruction of Jerusalem, every single year, 
in the synagogues, they would read out loud. So one of the services would be nothing but reading out loud and inviting the people to wail over Jerusalem and also inviting people with their own personal grief to come into the story of what it looks like to process grief and hurt and to find relief in God. Do you know what they do every single week at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem? Do you know what that is? That's the last remaining piece of the temple that was torn down by the Romans. Every week they read the book of Lamentations to express their grief over the destruction of the temple and invite people in Judaism into that grief as well. We need to learn to lament and see how this takes us all in this book to that famous verse. You know what the most famous verse in Lamentations is, right? Great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. I promise we'll get there. Stay with me, okay? We're going to get there. But Lamentations will not only help us learn better what to do with our pain, it'll help us see the pain of others in a different way and enter into that pain with them, allow them to experience it before God, don't chastise them for being honest, and to bear witness to the pain of another human being whose life is just as important as yours and just as important as mine. And maybe, maybe to pray with them, for them, just to be there. So, I'd like to start with this sentence. You ready to get into it? It's very simple. The view from the ruins is unobstructed. Let me say it again. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The view from the ruins is unobstructed. First, I want to talk about the ruins. That's chapter 1. Jerusalem is in ruins. I want us to talk about the importance of acknowledging the ruins and seeking God in the ruins of our lives. Why is Israel in ruins? Well, the book of Jeremiah kept telling, you know, through the, the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah, you, you need to turn back to God. God loves you. Come back into his arms. And if you don't turn, you're going to be destroyed by the Babylonians and you're going to be taken into captivity. And that's exactly what happened. And Israel, basically, let me just put it in the way Lamentations does, loved other gods. Israel decided not to trust God. They made alliances with other nations to make sure they were safe. And Israel loved to listen to those false prophets who said, Oh, you know, God just wants you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. God just wants you to be happy. They loved hearing that. Peace, peace, they said, where there is no peace. And now Israel is in ruins. And here's the language. She had other lovers. I mean, that's kind of personal, isn't it? Israel had affairs on Yahweh God. Israel took to her embrace other lovers. And God allowed the Babylonians finally to crush Jerusalem. And now Israel is in the aftermath. Jeremiah is all about what's going to happen. Lamentations is all about what just happened. This is a postcard from the ruins, is what this is, and it is sad. 
so, Israel begins to actually come back to God. Israel begins to see that her lovers were, were not there in her greatest hour of need. And those countries and those nations couldn't provide. So let me read Lamentations 1, 1 through 17. And you, we have Bibles in the chair pocket in front of you. I'd love for you to see it while I read. It's a lengthy scripture. But even if you're not seeing it, just listen. And I think it will capture you the depth of the pain in the lament. Lamentations 1, verse 1. How? How lonely sits the city that was once full of people. How like a widow Jerusalem has become. She who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends, the other nations, have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations and she finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion, Jerusalem, mourn. For none, nobody comes to the festivals. They're not happening. And her gates are all broken down. They're all desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted. And she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. They they rule over her now. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away captives before the foe. Verse 6, from the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like a deer that cannot find a pasture. They fled without strength before their pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all of the precious things that were hers from the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. And her foes gloated over her and they mocked her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her. For they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. And therefore, her fall is terrible. And she has no comforter. That's a lament. That's not pretending that the pain is not there. Yeah, it is okay to acknowledge the ruins. It is actually helpful to be honest with yourself and myself and with God. The sole purpose of Lamentations finally at the end of the day is to take all of this to a God who allowed the pain and the same God who alone can heal the pain. And you know what? All over the Scriptures, we see lamenting. We see this 
passionate expression of grief, a third of the Psalms are laments. This should give us permission to be real before God. Now, I would like to tell you there is a difference between a lament and self-pity. Self-pity is not recommended. Lamenting is. Self-pity turns on self. Self-pity doesn't really want to get, a, get away from his or her problems because they've come to define his or her. Self-pity turns on other people and demands that other people fix him or her. Self-pity binds people, straps people uh, on your back and, and nearly breaks your back because it does become all about that person and it's all about their happiness. That's not what we're talking about here. No, a lament... Though it is guttural, though it is honest, though it is poignant, it is an absolute turning toward God. It is straight up honesty. And the point of lament in all the colors of emotions that we find in laments is not that the person no longer believes in God, that God is in control. That's not it. How could you talk about like that, God like that if you believe He's in control? No, the point of the lament is that that person absolutely believes God is in control and that's why they're lodging a protest against God. Don't you understand? The, uh, someone who laments gets it about God's sovereignty. It is a lament before God. It is toward God. That's why you're compelled to lament to Him. You know He's there. That's why you lodge the protest. And you realize that you are talking to the only person who has kingship over all and all situations. That's the view from the ruins. We need to be honest. But secondly, the view from the ruins is unobstructed. There's a positive thing that's going on in Lamentations 1 that also could be a very positive thing in our lives as well. Lamentations, in conjunction with Jeremiah, shows that turning to idols, usually that's money, sex, or power in our lives, you know, kind of the things we're depending on to make our life work, to feel like we're important, to feel like we matter, how all this insecurity reaches out and holds idols close. Jeremiah and Lamentation, and especially Lamentation, says, trust us, it will not work. The idols are called her lovers. And the view from the ruins is now lovers gone. The big question in Lamentation is not just Can you see where you once were and now where you are? The other big question is, where are your lovers now? Where are your lovers? Where are all your friends? Where are all these nations that were going to support you? Where are your false prophets now? You see, the view from the ruins is unobstructed. I remember some years ago, Gene and I went on a cruise to Alaska. And we got a room with a window. Natural light is important to us. Uh, this is back during the recession. And cruises were about $300. And we're saying, we're go- we said, we're going. 
But we got what you call what we what they call a partially obstructed room. What that means is that it's fully obstructed. <laughs> so we got there. But it did, you know, what it means is there's a lifeboat attached to the 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 uh, ship in front of your window. All right? And uh and there was, but there was some natural light, so we were glad. And one hour during that entire week, and we were in the room when it happened, Gina said, look, the lifeboat was hoisted down and they did maintenance on it. It was amazing what you could see when the lifeboat was down. <laughs> Let me tell you, the lovers are gone. The nations are gone. This mountain of pride is gone. And there's a much less obstructed view back toward God. In Lamentations chapter 1, I'd like for you to listen to the clarity that is found in the ruins, starting with verse 18 through 20. We finally get, after all the lamenting, we finally get to these words, the Lord is in the right. We started with how, and we get to the Lord is in the right, verse 18, for I This is Jerusalem. This is Israel speaking personally. For I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples. Listen to me. See my suffering. Don't go there. It's what the writer of Lamentations is saying. The Lord is in the right. I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you people. See my suffering. See, my younger women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, and they deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city when they sought for food to to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung out within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house... It is like death. Lamentations does speak of the processing of our grief, acknowledging the ruin, saying, God, how? Look at what's going on. This is awful. I can barely stand it. But it's also telling us that our lovers will desert us too. Our lovers will lie. It is saying... God and God alone will be there when you're in the ruins. That's who you can count on. That's who you can count on. And, um, and don't go there. It's like they're saying, we believed what we wanted to believe. Despite what God said in His Word. We believe what we wanted to believe. We live the way we wanted and it turned to dust. And life without God is a ruin of a life. And you know, it still is. All of us are tempted by those same lovers. And the self, money, sex, power. False prophets abound. All you got to do is turn on your television. Oh, this is going to be the best day of your life. God's going to bless you. And, you know, the chief end of God suddenly is to, for us to be happy. That's the existence of God is explained only in terms of us being happy. That's not why God's here. God wants you to have what you want, we hear. 
God wants you, far be it from the deity to stand in the way of your happiness. And you know what? We begin to look for our happiness in other places. We do. And Lamentations says, listen to us. Listen to the screams of the word how. See us. Please, those things that we held so close, those things that you are holding close or thinking about holding close, and it's all kind of a continuum of of how much in the thraldom and the clutches of these idols we have allowed our hearts to get, isn't it? And and, and the people in, in Jerusalem are saying, you hold them so close, they're cancer. Maybe a modern way to put it would be, your lovers, your idols are radioactive. And they are slowly killing you. Lamentations is a postcard from the aftermath. Trust us. We chased them. We never got rest. There was never enough. We had to chase more and more and more. That's the way idols work. In fact, you read in Lamentations 1 where it talks about they they, they found no rest. This was a terrible explosion, if you will. But you know something about this explosion? Lamentations is not explained by a sudden explosion. No, the Babylonians finally arrived. Don't get me wrong. No, this was preceded by a gradual spiritual implosion in the heart of God's people. This was given away a day at a time. Just the way it is in my heart and your heart. That's what the Bible bears witness to. The lovers will desert you. They're radioactive. You need to listen to us. Where are all your lovers now? You know, one of the differences between God and idols, many differences, but one of the main differences is that God really is always there for us. Where are your lovers now? You don't ever have to ask the question if you've put your trust in Jesus, if you have a a living relationship with God, you don't ever have to ask the question where He is. I mean, if you're being rhetorical, like where is He, that's fine. But you know something? He will never leave you or forsake you. God is not like idols. God always loves His people. God loves His people even when we have gone after idols. You understand that? God loves His people even as they lament, even as they lodge protests against Him. He is there. And you know something? He has loved us all along the way. Even when we betrayed Him, He loved us. Even when we abandoned Him along the way, even when we were wearing ourselves out, pursuing but never finding, always chasing but never resting, always gorging ourselves on whatever it was that we thought would make our lives only to find that it was not true bread that satisfies our souls. But you know something? Where there are ruins, there's a lot of ruins per square foot in this room right here. And there's a whole continuum of what those ruins look like and could look like. But where there are ruins of one sort or another, look up. God is there. You can hold out your arms to God. He will never knock your arms away. 
You know, one of the reasons we had a confession of sin this morning is if, if we confess our sins as His people, He is always faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I'm talking every single time. We can, Lamentations and saying we can stop running and we can find rest. And Jesus will give us what we need for our idle-chasing, weary souls. So let me wrap this up. On the one hand, we're going to get to to chapter 3. Stay with me, all right? It gets better. On the one hand, lamentations is kind of the ultimate comfort. Because you can't get any lower than lamentations. And if those people in an absolutely ruined city with a third of the inhabitants dead and the young people carted off to Babylon, if they touched bottom and there was God, I don't know what it is in your life, but let me tell you, if they found God, you can find God. Be encouraged. You can't get any lower than Lamentations. And in Lamentations, we learn that God is always there. And we're invited into this book of Lamentations, into this ordered journey to process our hurt and our grief and our pain. And through the depths of that acknowledgement of the ruins and bringing our real life to God, we end up in His arms again. So it's kind of the ultimate comfort in a way. It's a well-worn path that you just know is true and would be true for you. But on the other hand, Lamentations is kind of the ultimate warning as well. It is saying that if you reach out to other lovers, there will finally be no one to comfort you. God is different than the idols in that He will always be there. He will never forsake you. It's saying that idols take us down. And it's saying that Jesus is different from all these other supposed saviors. Whatever it is we think can make our life or whatever alliance that Israel would make with other nations to to save its national security, all these things, all these supposed saviors. No, Jesus is different. You know why? Because... If you've been through incredible pain and hurt, and if you've been forsaken, let me tell you something about our Savior. Our Savior was utterly forsaken. Don't you know that? That's what Hebrews talks about when he says, you know, we got a high priest that we can identify with. We don't have this, I'm Jesus and you're you. No, Jesus was became one of us, and he was tempted like us in every way, yet without sin. You feel forsaken? I want you to know your Savior was ultimately forsaken. He was taken outside of the holy city. He was crucified next to a garbage dump in the, mo- in the ultimate indignifying death execution that could be rendered during that time. And don't you see... That Jesus experienced total ruination for you. On the cross, he took your punishment. Jesus was forsaken, so you never will be forsaken if you come to him. Look, if you put your trust in Jesus and if you know him, you can reach out to him. He's there. You can trust a Savior who came and was forsaken for you. Remember these words? My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is, 
for you. Jesus knows how to love people who've been forsaken. Jesus knows how to reach people in the ruins. Jesus knows how to embrace people who have no one left to comfort them. So, lament. Be honest with God. Lament with honesty before the Lord who loves you, who gave himself for you. Lament. Seek God. Seek God through the cross only to end up in his arms in a new way. And wouldn't it be, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if maybe somebody here, God could actually turn a page and maybe there would be a new way to live forward coming out of that hurt by the grace of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. We need you. We're, su- we're sinners. We're such sinners. Lord, we're so selfish. Uh, we do hold those other lovers, those idols close. We do imagine if we just had this, our lives would be great. Or if we just could have this person or have these alliances or have this money or this power or a combination of the above. And yet, Lord, you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you that your love is greater than life. And your love is our life. Would you help your people to lament? And would you start a process of healing in lives through your grace? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.